Okay. We're good? Still? <laughs> okay. Ready? We start. So I was, I was telling Jessica, where I got a little uh, flummish, though I don't know what the word is. One of the, one of the most enjoyable things that I learned from the rabbi, Rabbi Abitan, when studying was uh, going off on a tangent. The rabbi, whose yard site is tonight, he was never afraid to take a fork in the road. And, you know, Elliot's there, Alex's there. Well, you remember the rabbi, Richard's there. And the rabbi was never afraid to take a tangent. He would start a class on one subject and someone would bring a question related and then we would suddenly go off the road and he had to answer that question, which interrupted us, but it needed to be resolved in order to move forward. And then we just moved forward to the next week. So you went into a class and you prepared for ABC and all of a sudden we were discussing XYZ. So it happened to me really this Shabbat. I was working on putting together the class, beginning with the common factor, which relates to the first three plagues. And it was the title that, that we came up with for the, for the class this week, which is bringing light into a world of darkness. And then what happens is as I'm preparing and going through all the notes and going through the sources in the middle of the ninth plague, when the Egyptians go from merely not being able to see each other or recognize one another, and the darkness goes from that darkness to a thick darkness where uh, the Rashid describes and the Gemara describes as one sitting cannot rise up and one standing cannot sit down, I came to a roadblock. And I realized that this roadblock which I came to had been bothering me for years, I really was never able to come up with a satisfactory answer. And I ventured off onto this tangent. What's also interesting is Rabbi Yehuda in the synagogue with me, he gave a class last night on this thing that was bothering me. But we're going to be in completely different worlds. So whoever was listening there, you're going to see a different answer completely. So let's to start, let's review the Perashan in a nutshell. We begin this week with the warning for Makat Arbe, the locusts. Moshe comes to Paro and he's warning him that the locusts are going to come. Whatever miraculously was left over by the hail, which we had last week, that the last plague last week was the hail that was ice, uh, ice balls uh, wrapped around fire. Whatever that left over, and specifically the hail was commanded to leave something over so the locusts would have something to eat. The locusts are going to come. And then Hashem instructs Moshe to tell him about the darkness. And Hashem then instructs Moshe to tell B'nai Israel to ask Mitzrayim for their gold and their silver. We then interrupt the plagues. And Hashem instructs Moshe to tell B'nai Israel to bring Korban Pesach. Put the blood on their doorposts. And that we're going to celebrate Pesach, this Pesach, for generations to come. The death of the firstborn begins. Paro runs to send out B'nai Israel, who begin the exodus the very next morning. We end this perasha with the paragraphs of Kadesh Likol Behor and Vehaya Kiyeviecha, which are included in our tefillin. These are two of the four uh, paragraphs that are included in our tefillin. And we actually say these paragraphs every morning as we begin to pray right after putting on our tefillin. And these paragraphs also commemorate 
the makat bechorot, the killing of the firstborn, and the the exodus. So let's now see how all these different concepts come together. And we're going to see where I go off on the tangent and where I try to recover. Locus, we start. Vekiseh et en ha'aretz. The locusts are going to come and they're going to cover the view of the earth, the eye of the earth, in, in, if we're literal. And a person is not going to be able to see the earth. And it's going to eat whatever remains of the food, which remains from the, the, uh, the hail. It's going to eat every tree and everything that grows from the ground. So the Targum is very interesting. It says we can, one cannot see the sun because of the locusts. So locusts is not just locusts. Locusts is also a plague of darkness. And really, if it's not a plague of darkness, why do we have to mention specifically that it's going to cover the eye of the land? You're not going to be able to see. If the plague is eating, why is darkness in the description? The sun cannot shine through because of the number of locusts. And we see the actual plague by Yet Moshe Matehu. Moshe strikes his staff, Al Eretz Mitzrayim. And God brought a big wind all the day and all the night. And in the morning, that's when the locusts come. So we have to ask does God really need the wind all day and all night? Not instantaneously. Why the emphasis and why does it have to begin in the day? The locust, specifically, the morning comes and then the locust comes. What should have been really day at this point? You know, the sun comes up, it's all clear, there's no locusts. And all of a sudden, boom, all the locusts come in such a huge amount that it is as if it's night. It covers the entire earth. The rabbis explain that normally locusts come little by little. They attack field by field. If you ever see the videos, you see they go eat the field, move to the next field. Here, all the locusts miraculously come in one moment and they attack every field at the same time. They even venture into the homes of the Egyptians to eat the food off their table and within their cupboards. So what's actually happening is the locusts are so full and so many, there is complete darkness. And again, this darkness, because there's locusts all around you, is almost like a physical darkness, which seems to describe the next plague. Because then we jump to Choshech, which is the next plague. By Yomer Hashem El Moshe, Hashem says to Moshe, al Raise your staff, your hand, to the heaven. You always think it's the staff, is the hand. Vahi choshech, and it's darkness, al eretz mitzrayim. Vayamesh choshech, and the darkness will become darker. Rashi says, palatable. And we have a question here why emphasize the degree of darkness? And also, in this case, when does the darkness begin? In the morning. So we go through the night, the sun rises, it's a beautiful day, and wham, bam. Someone turns off the lights. We have complete darkness. We go further, and Rashi brings, there was thick darkness for three days. What happened? He says, there's first, there's three days of darkness, 
And then there's a second darkness. And Rashid describes thick darkness in which they did not recognize each other. Strange description. And another three days of darkness where one cannot rise up from his place. If he's sitting, he can't stand. If he's standing, he's unable to sit. Think of what those two terms mean. Trick question to start. What does it mean? Where do we see when one cannot recognize one's friend? And where do we see when one lays down and one gets up? So my first question was, why the strange description? Now the next question is, why did Hashem bring darkness upon the Egyptians? Rashi asks this question, but he doesn't ask this question on any other plague. This is the only plague that he asks. There's eight other plagues. Why didn't Rashi ask? Why specifically did Hashem bring blood? Many Mephashim tell us, you know, they suggest why. Beautiful thing that I heard the rabbi once said that the blood is warm compared to the water, which is cold. And you're really trying to communicate to the people. So you want to warm them up a little bit. You want to warm them up for a conversation. But, but the only one that Rashi brings is darkness, and ask the question, why darkness? And Rashi gives an answer. Because there were among the Bnei Israel in Egypt, wicked people that didn't want to leave. And those wicked people who didn't want to leave died during the three days of darkness. The reason they died then is so that the Egyptians shouldn't see that they were being killed, and the Egyptians shouldn't say, just like we got killed, they got killed. Something to keep in mind for the future is, uh, the Me'amloez quotes the source from the Midrash that says that that uh, two guys stayed in Egypt even when B'nai Yisrael left. If they stayed in Egypt and really didn't want to leave, how come they didn't die during the days of darkness? And who were those guys? Think about it. The next reason Rashi gives is B'nai Yisrael during the days of darkness were allowed to search the dwellings of their Egyptian neighbors to see exactly what they had in their cupboards and in their closets and where they were hiding things so that when they would ask them to borrow things, they couldn't say, we don't have, because the Bnei Israel could say, oh, we saw them in your house. And the question is, why is this so important to know? Why is it so important, period, and why is it so important to know? We jump now to chapter 11, verse 2. There is the specific command that Hashem gives to Moshe and tells Moshe, please speak to B'nai Israel. Please, and ask them that they should borrow each man from his neighbor and each woman from her neighbor dishes of silver and gold. So you're going to go borrow your neighbor's dishes of silver and gold. Rashi says, why does Hashem ask in a way, please. Why does he say nah? He says, I beseech you, Moshe, please, Moshe, please instruct them about this, about borrowing the dishes. So the righteous one, who's the righteous one? Who's the Sadiq? Avraham Avinu. But it doesn't say, it says the righteous one. He shouldn't say that Hashem fulfilled the promise that he told me that he would enslave them and afflict them but the promise that he made not to send them out, to send them out afterwards with great wealth, he did not fulfill. 
And the question we have to ask is, what do you mean the righteous man should not complain? This is why B'nai Yisrael are checking out where the Egyptians hid their dishes. And this is why when they leave Egypt, they're going to take the dishes, not the diamonds, but the dishes. And the dishes of all the common people, all their neighbors, not the treasury of Paro. And what's even stranger, we're told that when B'nai Yisrael leave Egypt, they emptied Egypt. Yet at the same time, we know that at Yamsuf, when the Egyptians drowned, all the wealth of the nobility and of the king washed up on the shore. The rabbis explain that the Egyptians, they put on diamonds and rubies and all precious stone and all precious metals to decorate their chariots, to decorate their horses, to decorate their armor, to decorate their weapons. And all these jewels, when the Egyptians drowned in the sea, Hashem made it miraculously wash up onto the shore. And the wealth that they picked up on the side of the shore at the splitting of the sea was so much greater than the wealth that they took from Egypt. If that was the case, then how does the Pasuk tell us that by taking the dishes, they emptied out Egypt. What do you mean? They emptied Egypt of the dishes. What's going on? And this is really where I sidetracked. And I imagined I was sitting with the rabbi, and we were all sitting in the class, and we got to this question, and the rabbi said, good question, let's explore the answer, and whatever else we were going to learn that night just ended. So we're going to continue and we're going to come back to this idea of the righteous one and his complaint. And we're going to try to figure out what's the story with the dishes? You ever think of that one? What's the story with the dishes? So let's go further. The Pasuk says specifically, a person couldn't see his friend. And a person couldn't get up from his place. Three days, three days. But for the Jewish people, for all the Jewish people, there was light in their dwellings. The Bnei Israel had light. If this darkness is filled with darkness, and it's a thick darkness where one can't see, how do you have light? Explains Rabbeinu Hari that the light was in the eye of the Jew, of the Israelite. This is the original light of creation when it says in the beginning, Hashem said, let there be light, and there was light. Which light was that? The original light of creation, and that light was in the eye of Bnei Israel. They specifically had light. And we see again, La Yehudim, we say, Hayta Ora. Later on, we see in the Megillah to the Jewish people, they had light, but it's based on this, Uchol B'nei Israel Hayaor. All B'nei Israel had light. Vayomen Moshe, Ko Amar Hashem. Now we're going to go to the 10th plague. And he's saying, Kachatzot Halayla, Ani Betoch Mitzrayim. At about midnight, I'm going to come into Egypt. Moshe is saying, before I leave, before you throw me out, Paro, because Paro said to him, you're out of here, Moshe, I don't want to see you again. 
He said to him, ah, okay, I'm not coming back, but let me tell you what's really going to happen in a couple of weeks. At about midnight, Hashem says, I am coming. The rabbis ask a question. Why does he say, Kachatzot, at about midnight? Why doesn't he say, midnight? And they say, because Moshe didn't want the Egyptians to calculate midnight differently, and then say, Moshe is a liar because the firstborn were killed at 11.58 or at 12.03 and not exactly 12 o'clock. Very hard explanation to even care. We have another explanation. Kachatzot is when the night splits. Kachatzot halayla, when the night splits. We know in Parshat Lech Lecha, we have the story of Avraham Avinu, of Abraham. And again, we go back to Abraham in the story. Abraham, that's Sadiq. He's chasing the four kings. At midnight, he stops. There's a miracle in Abraham chasing the kings and releasing Lot. It says up until midnight, he's fighting his war. The other half of the night will be reserved for his children when Hashem will redeem them and that will be Pesach. Like when the night was split, half the night was for Abraham, half the night is for Hashem to save the people. Further, Exodus begins at midnight. Even if they would leave in the morning, we're told the redemption begins with the death of the firstborn. So kachatzot, when the night was split, meaning before midnight, before the splitting of the night, they were slaves. After the splitting of the night, they're no longer slaves. So the last three makot seem all have to do with night. And the last specific, why night? Why midnight? Could be any time. You could kill the firstborn, then they're dead. What's the difference when they die? Why does it have to take place at midnight? The Pesukim continue. Everyone's going to die. There's a big screaming in Egypt, like there never was or never will be. So we have now three final plagues. Locusts, they seem to be a plague of darkness. Darkness seems to be a plague of darkness. And Makat Bechorot seems to be a plague that only takes place in the middle of the night. So, Ulchol B'nei Israel, but among B'nei Israel, the Pasuk is telling us, Lo Yecheratz Kelev Leshano, a dog is not going to balk, not going to wet its tongue. From man to beast, in order that you should know that Asher Yifle'a Hashem Ben Mitzrayim Ben Yisrael. Hashem is going to divide between the Egyptians and between Israel. The dog's not going to bark. The Pasuk tells us the dog is not going to bark. Who cares if the dog is going to bark or not bark? Who really cares? One sec. Too loud. <laughs> Who cares if the dog is going to bark or not bark? Whether it's a real dog, whether it's a magic dog, that's not going to bark. Usually, you hear a dog bark, you get scared. Here, the dog is not going to bark. Let's skip to Perek 12. We have Parshat HaChodesh. Hashem tells Moshe about Rosh Chodesh. HaChodesh Hazeh Lachem. This month is for you. Rosh Chodeshim. The head of the months. Rishon Hulachem. It's the first for you of the months of the year. The Midrash tells us Moshe had difficulties. What do you mean, Hashem? When is Rosh Chodesh? What is the size of the moon that we're supposed to pick that that's Rosh Chodesh? 
And it says, Hashem shows Moshe with his finger. He shows him the moon. Huh? First mitzvah that we have as a people. The first mitzvah. You would think the first mitzvah should be like believe in God or love each other or what is it? Kiddush HaChodesh. Sanctifying the moon. Looking at the moon. You know, if you looked out last night, it was amazing. You had the quarter moon. Tonight's the first night we could say, Birkat HaLevana. But if you look out at the moon, we see the moon as a quarter moon, as a full moon, as a quarter moon, as an eighth moon. But really, the moon doesn't change. It's only the way we see the moon because of the reflection. What do we need the moon for? Why can't we have a calendar like we have a calendar, a regular calendar that's calculated forever? Why do we need to announce the moon every month in order to declare Rosh Chodesh? If you had a real nice calendar, you could have all the holidays years in advance. You know what's going on. But the way it is in the Torah, you never know what day is going to be Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Pesach. Every year it's going to change to the next year. There's no future planning. Also, we see this year coming, Pesach is going to come out in March. So what are we going to have to do next year? We're going to have to have a leap year next year in order to catch up with the sun. And we're going to have Pesach in April. A better idea than this lunar moon, moon, lunar calendar where we have to, is just use a solar calendar like the rest of the world does. (laughs) <laughs> then you have these simple leap year rules. It's not so complicated. Why is it all based on the moon? And what does Moshe not understand? You tell me when the moon is new, meaning when you see the first little thing of the moon. I could understand that. And I can't understand anything that Moshe could understand. So how can Moshe not understand what Hashem is telling him? And why is this the first mitzvah? If there was a tradition, maybe it's less crucial. But why so crucial that this is the first minyan, the first mitzvah, the first mitzvah that we get while we're still in Egypt? It's an emergency to begin this mitzvah in Egypt. What does it have to do with Egypt? What does it have to do with Yetziah Mitzrayim, with Exodus? Why not simply say to Moshe, you know, Moshe, two weeks from today. You know, it's very interesting. One of my friends told me that on the Pfizer vaccine, you're supposed to really take it 17 days later. But they figured people can't calculate 17 days. So they told them simply three weeks. So they say, you took it on a Monday, three weeks later, take it again on a Monday because people can't figure out 17 days. The same way B'nai Israel, Hashem says to Moshe, Moshe, I'm talking to you today. It's Thursday. Two weeks from today, it's Thursday. That's when you're going to go and you're going to slaughter Wednesday night. You're going to go slaughter the 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 uh, the sheep and you're going to put the blood on the door and that's it two weeks from today why do we have to calculate the new moon and then calculate from there you want to teach me astronomy I'm going to have a long time going through the desert let's set up astronomy class in the desert and then you'll teach me about the moon why do we have to know about it before we leave Egypt and the halakha is you announce it once you see it the first mitzvah is the moon you need to see it Strange. So the achluet habasar. So on that night, Bnei Israel are going to eat the meat. Balayla hazeh on this night, sili esh roasted, and matzot and maror. They're going to eat it. What do they have to do? They're going to eat the meat only when at night. You slaughter it in the late afternoon, but you can't eat it. You got to wait until the night. Now every other sacrifice, you slaughter it. You cook it, you eat it. You could eat it, 
after you slaughter it. Why here do we have to have this anticipation to eat it only when it's night? Rashi, based on the Gemara, on Pasuk 6. I saw here. This is the, this is the Gemara. The Rabbi Matia says, Behold, Hashem says, And I passed by you, and I saw you, and behold, your time was the time of love. What does this mean? The time of the fulfillment of the oath that I swore to Abraham, again, we're only leaving Egypt because God swore to Abraham, that I would redeem his children has arrived. It says, but the rabbis say, but there was a problem. B'nai Israel had no mitzvot in their hands, nothing to occupy themselves. As it says in the prophet Yechezkel, they were naked, they were bare, meaning they had no mitzvot. So Hashem gave B'nai Israel on the day before they're going to leave these two mitzvot. What are the two? The blood of circumcision and the blood of the Pesach, the Paschal Lamb. Hashem says no mitzvot, so here they are. The blood you're going to sacrifice in the afternoon, you're going to slaughter the sheep. And at night, what are you going to do? You're going to do Brit Milah. Huh? Brit Milah at night? We don't do Brit Milah at night. We do Brit Milah only during the day. In fact, if someone does Brit Milah during the night, it's invalid. But here, we're going to do Brit Milah at night. And even the slaughtering of the sheep took place when? Ben Ha'arbayim, towards the evening, between the night and between the day. So again, we have this thing of night, night of the Exodus, everything about night. Then we see, It came to pass at midnight, Hashem kills the firstborn. From the firstborn of Parol to the firstborn of the captive in the dungeon and every firstborn animal. Midnight, destroy. But for us, Leil Shimurim Hu Lashem. It is a night of watching to take B'nai Israel out of Egypt. Because why? He promised Abraham. So again, why at night? Usually, Hashem does not appear at night. Typically, Hashem appears during the day. There's an exception. Brit Ben Habetarim the covenant where Hashem actually tells Abraham that your children will be slaves for these 400 years. This is the night, this is the promise forever. So the night of Pesach perhaps took place on the same night that Brit Ben HaBetarim. Hashem promised Abraham, I'm going to take them out. And he does it on that night. Night, night. And always this night is protected. We are saved from the dangerous forces. Says that a person who says Shema at night, it's like holding a two-sided sword. The night is a dangerous time, but the night of Pesach doesn't have that danger. The night of Pesach, we don't have to really say Shema's protection. It's called Leil Shimurim. It's the night where Hashem watches us. He watches us from these mazikin, these negative forces at night. And this continues for all time. Go further. The Midrash tells us that when Hashem wanted to bring this plague of darkness, He convened a meeting with the angels in heaven. Do I bring it or do I not? The Midrash says the conclusion of the meeting with the angels was, yes, bring it. 
The question again we have to ask is why don't we have a court decision on any other plague? So far, the plague of darkness, we have a court hearing. We have a decision. We have a question. Why did we bring it? We have two answers of why we brought it. What's going on with the plague of darkness different to the other, the other plagues? Furthermore, Tosvot explains that the mazikin, these spiritual demons, threaten travelers specifically at night. Why? Why is night so bad? We discussed before that night is a time that we have very few mitzvot. The vast majority of the mitzvot that we're given, we do during the day. Lulav, we only shake during the day. Sitzit, we're only commanded to wear during the day. Tefillin, we're only commanded to put on during the day. When the Bet HaMikdash was around, when nighttime came, they basically locked the door for the night. Good night, folks. Close. See you in the morning. They reopen at dawn. And the rabbis tell us the reason is that night doesn't belong to us. Night's dangerous for human beings. They say that Gehinom is darkness. Hell is darkness. I always thought really hell could just be such blinding light that it's so blinding that it's like darkness. Night refers to a bad situation that a person is, the night time of their life. You have to understand the original light of the first day. This light, Yehi Or, Vahi Or, this light was created not just for the light, but to allow us to do the mitzvot. Rabbi Yonatan ben Uziel comments, when it says the Jews had light, they had light not just for seeing, but because certain mitzvot can only be done during the day. Vayikra Elohim Laor Yom, Hashem called the light day. During daytime, as we mentioned, we have these mitzvot, tzitzit, tefillin, sacrifices, etc. But Egypt had darkness. But in Egypt, within the darkness, B'nai Israel had light, light. Not only to see, but for the mitzvot that they would eventually accept. It's the mitzvot that take place during the day, which make the day good. The night lacking mitzvot makes the night dangerous. So the obvious question, why is all of this taking place in Egypt at night? Even if the moon was reduced, they had some system of light. So why night? Why dangerous time? Why is all of the exodus related to this night? We're told again, we have light so we can do mitzvot. We're told again, we have certain mitzvot that we can only do at night. And we're told that the mitzvot do not follow the light, but the light follows the mitzvot. We have light. The day begins at night and comes into day. And day comes so that we have the mitzvot. The original light followed darkness. The day followed night in order to allow us to do the mitzvot. To bring the sacrifices, to open the Bet HaMikdash. To wear our tzitzit, to wear our tefillin, to do the vast majority of mitzvot that we do during the day. Hashem gave us light. 
says, but it's not the light that's the key. It's the mitzvot that bring the light. These last three plagues, locusts, darkness, makat pechorot, the killing of the firstborn. As we mentioned clearly, they all have an aspect of darkness, not only an aspect. Each of them emphasizes darkness. The grasshoppers seem to emphasize darkness. Whereas, isn't the grasshopper the plague? Isn't the, 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 the locust the plague? No, there's more to it. We have to realize all three are an extension of darkness. We have to understand behind it, it's darkness, and darkness is a tragedy. Darkness represents a world lacking mitzvot. These last three plagues are the highest level of the plagues to bring Egypt to recognize. And they share this single aspect, darkness. We see the Pasuk and locusts, they're going to all day, all night, all, all day, all night, and then they arrive the next day. The Mazikin rain at night. It shows the tragedy of darkness is a person cannot see. He cannot recognize his friend as the description among the Egyptians. He cannot get up. He cannot sit down. We have darkness, then makat pechorot. At the division of the night, again showing the mazikin at night. Abraham, though, was able to overcome the night. He's able to chase the kings at night up until midnight, but not after. The Gemara tells us the night is divided. The first part of the night, the donkey brays. The second part of the night, the dog barks. And when the dog barks, it's a bad time. The Gemara says, why does the dog bark? The devil, the angel of death has come to town. Someone once went to heaven and uh, the Malach HaMavet, he said, how do you know? The Gemara Baba Kamate is the dogs know it. When the Malach HaMavet is there, the dogs can see him. When specifically does he come? The worst part of the night when the dogs bark. The angel of death has his time. It's a dangerous time. It's the worst part of the night. Hashem picks exactly midnight, this dangerous time, to kill the firstborn. So, we want to be protected. We want to escape the danger. How do we escape the danger? The key is turning night into day. And the question is how? We have two mitzvot that were given in Egypt. The brit milah at night. The sacrifice in the evening, but we smear the blood and we ate the sacrifice at night. We eat at night, it's protection. Leil Shimurim, it's a night of watching. The redemption from Egypt comes on the night of Pesach. It's the most dangerous time. Rabbeinu Bachya says, there's a special power of Mars. This is what the Egyptians believe will protect them. Therefore, that's when Hashem comes. The Pasuk tells us, Vayakom Paro, Paro got up. Moshe told him that every firstborn in Egypt, including his own kid, the kids of his slaves, even the firstborn animals are going to die that night. Do you think you would go to sleep that night? No way. It says, but Vayakom Paro. The kids sing the song, Paro in pajamas in the middle of the night, Paro in pajamas. What do you mean he's in pajamas? 
If you knew that your night is under attack, you're not going to sleep. Yet he goes to sleep. Why? It's my time. It's Aries. Full moon. Mars ascending. I have the power of the dark side. Then wham, bam, in your face puddle. And what do we have for B'nai Israel? We have light. How? Because a mitzvah can light up the night. Ner mitzvah. The Torah or. A mitzvah is a candle and the Torah is light. That's why it's crucial to learn Torah at night. The Torah is given to us specifically to learn at night. The Torah protects us. This is why we have the Shema at night. Because when we say Shema at night, at least we've learned a little bit of Torah to protect us in the night like a two-sided sword. The Torah, the mitzvot, that's what protects us. This is the meaning that Hashem asks the angels. Can I bring darkness? Can I bring darkness? Darkness means a reign of banned entities. Hashem discusses it with them. Rashi asks, why darkness? It's the only time Rashi asks, why a specific plague? Because by allowing darkness in the day, one allows the bad entities to reign also over the day. And usually those entities don't have that power to do that. We have to understand, darkness is a bad time. Moshe tells Baruch at the dividing point of night, when you think, Baruch, you're going to have the power of darkness, then I'm going to come. Poof. Dogs bark at midnight. Dogs bark with the angel of death. But here they don't. Why? B'nai Israel did mitzvot. And the mitzvot provided light. And therefore the dogs don't bark. We have to understand the mitzvah of sanctifying the moon. When the moon's going to shine, we have the berachah, birkat ha because it shows us, you know what, B'nai Israel, You can survive at night. You could survive the night. You could survive the negative forces. How? The first creation or light, it's an opportunity. Opportunity. But what about the night? What about the night? We have the mitzvah to announce the moon, see the moon. This is where Moshe has difficulties. He says to Hashem, show me. What does it mean, the light of the moon? Exactly how much light, Hashem, do we need to push away the darkness? How much light do we need to push away the darkness? The Zohar says, the night we came out of Egypt, because of the mitzvot, it was bright as day. This is the power of the mitzvot. The mitzvot can change night to day. Rambam in his halachot, he says that a person has to learn more at night than he does in the day. And it's worth so much more when a person learns at night than the day. Yaakov Avinu, we know when he stayed at Yeshivat Shem Ve'ever, the rabbis tell us he learned every night, all night. He had to sleep sometimes, so he slept in the day. Why did he learn all night? Because he couldn't be in a point where he was in danger of Esav. He needed protection from his brother. By learning at night, he turns the dangerous time into day. And he's protected. At night, the bad entities have permission. 
You need Shema in the day, but you need Shema at the night. Hashem kept that night of Pesach for us when the night should have been the most powerful, the most negative, the most dangerous for us. What did Hashem do? He changed the night into day. He removed from us the power of the dark forces. The whole perasha is a conversion of night to day. It shows the tragedy and danger of night. And Hashem emphasizes this. We're going to eat at night, eat the meat at night, only sacrifice, but eat the meat at night. Why? Because the mitzvah of eating is the protection. We're going to see this again a week later after the Exodus. When does the splitting of the sea take place? In the night. The mitzvot transform night into day. We survive, our enemies perish. The secret of these last three plagues, nighttime in this world, darkness. How do we prevent it? We bring light. How? With mitzvot. How? Learning Torah. You're worried about a darkness in your life? You have the ability to change that darkness into light through the mitzvot and through the Torah. Redemption is the same thing. The world is darkness. Through mitzvot, we bring light. Through mitzvot and Torah, we bring the light of redemption. Through that, we bring Mashiach. And we could end here, but I got to go to my tangent. So bear with me. Now I'm going to give you the tangent. When the Bnei Israel approach the Egyptians, they say to their Egyptian neighbors, can we borrow the dishes? The neighbor's going to ask, why do you want to borrow my precious gold and silver dishes? Keep in mind also that when Parah, before the plague of darkness, he tells Moshe, you know what, Moshe, go already. Take your kids, take your parents, take the old ones, take everyone and go. Just leave the sheep here. You would imagine if they really want to run away, they'll leave the sheep and go. Moshe says, no, we need to take the sheep. What do you mean you need to take the sheep? And Moshe tells Parah, we're going to worship Hashem. We have absolutely no idea what he wants us to sacrifice. We need to take our sheep, and you've got to give us some sheep too, because we don't know how many sheep he's going to want. It's very strange that we're told that the purpose of the darkness was in order for B'nai Israel to see where the Egyptians hid their silver and gold vessels. So they could ask for the vessels. If Hashem promised Abraham wealth, and it seems from what we said that Hashem is very afraid or very concerned that he's not going to be fulfilling his promise to Abraham, then why should the fulfillment of great wealth to Abraham come from borrowing dishes as opposed to taking stocks and bonds and jewels and gold bullion. In addition, we see that when they do borrow the dishes, the verse tells us that they emptied Egypt completely. We explained it's not true. In Yamsuf, there was much more that washed up. So they didn't really empty Egypt. So to try to understand this, I went to the Midrash. The Midrash tells us that when Hashem was offering the land of Israel to Abraham, Abraham Avinu specifically said, you know what Hashem, 
if you want to make this deal, I need a territory set aside of 500 amot by 500 amot, 500 cubits by 500 cubits, basically 1,000 feet by 1,000 feet, 1 million square feet. What's this territory? We know this is Har Habayit, the Temple Mount. As the whole purpose of coming into the land is not to have a land, but it's to build a Bet HaMikdash in order to serve Hashem. At the Brit Ben HaBetanim, which we mentioned took place 430 years prior to the night of the Exodus, Hashem tells Abraham, bring certain animals and slaughter them. What do those animals represent? They're the animals that would later be slaughtered in the Bet HaMikdash. Abraham turns to Hashem, he says, as a question. He says, What's going to be with my children if my children sin? He's afraid they're going to sin. Hashem's not going to forgive them. But Hashem says to him, they're going to build a temple, they're going to bring sacrifices, and they're going to be forgiven. The dishes that were borrowed were the dishes that the Egyptians used in order to bring their offerings, in order to collect their blood, and in order to richly worship, ritually worship their gods. That's the dishes that B'nai Israel are borrowing from their neighbors. The dishes that the Egyptians used to serve idolatry. That's what we're supposed to ask for. That's what's called Rechush Gadol. When, Abraham, when Hashem promises Abraham that his children will leave with great wealth, He's not referring to stocks and bonds. He's not referring to anything other than the dishes. And what's so special about these dishes? It's even though they were used for Avodah Zarah, we're going to take them and turn them around and use them in the Bet HaMikdash. Use them in order to serve Hashem. And use them in order to achieve a level of forgiveness. We're going to take the dishes in order to serve Hashem and fulfill the promise to Abraham. These dishes that are coming from the regular families of Egypt will be the gold and the silver that will allow B'nai Israel to build the Mishkan. And what's the source of this great wealth that came to Egypt? We have to remember, until Joseph came to Egypt, Egypt was, okay, maybe they were a cool country, but they weren't so powerful. They weren't so wealthy. They weren't the greatest nation. What did Yosef do? During the seven years of plenty, he set aside the food. He stored the food. He took care of it. And what happened is when the famine began, began, people from all over the world came to Egypt to buy food. And Yosef built the fortune of the royal household through his ingenuity in the years that followed the years of plenty. And this wealth that grew in Egypt through trickle-down economics, I don't know if we still believe in that, this extended to the regular people. But what was the purpose? What was the purpose of Yosef collecting all this wealth for Egypt? It was so when B'nai Israel would eventually leave, they would leave with great wealth, which Yosef himself brought in. So when the verse is telling us that after borrowing, the people emptied Egypt, what it's really telling us is they emptied 
Egypt from the dishes and the vessels that were used for idolatry and would no longer be able to be used to worship. God was thus fulfilling the promise to Abraham that they're going to leave with the vessels that will allow them to be to worship and allow them to serve Hashem and allow them to be saved. I think it's interesting because Hashem also said He's going to punish the Egyptian gods. And we see that especially in these final three plagues, which is done in the midst of darkness, the punishment to the Egyptian gods. That's when B'nai Israel came to their Egyptian neighbors. They came to their Egyptian enforcers. And they said, could we borrow the dishes? They were able to explain to their neighbors, what do you need the dishes for? Here's why we need the dishes. This great God, who's bringing all these plagues, asked us to come worship Him. We're going out to the desert and we have no idea how to worship Him. So we need to borrow your dishes. And we'll go and worship Him. Obviously, all the Egyptians were very afraid of this God. And we see in the verses that although they should have been very angry and hated Moshe, they look at him with chet. And for whatever reason, they miraculously had respect for Moshe and also the people. I imagine that the Egyptians understood that in order to alleviate their own pain, they should give their dishes to their Israelite neighbors in order to satisfy that God who was bringing all the plagues. B'nai Israel didn't ask for stocks and bonds or jewels. They asked for dishes. I think that the borrowing of dishes also fortifies the fact that the Egyptian people believed that the people would be returning after worshipping Hashem. I also believe that it was necessary for B'nai Israel themselves to believe that they would be returning. Because I don't think B'nai Israel had they realized they were leaving for good at that moment. And we could see later on when they're out there and they say we should go back. I don't think they ever would have left. So the idea of borrowing was necessary mentally on both sides. But in a way, the darkness was necessary to allow the process to be completed. So the reality is the message that we're being conveyed to us, it's being conveyed to us through the Exodus, is the purpose is not to take the money. But the purpose is in order to build the Ber HaMikdash, build the Mishkan. And this was what Abraham was looking for. And this was how to fulfill the promise that Hashem made to Abraham. This echoes what Hashem tells Moshe last week. I'm going to carry you and bring you to the land. The purpose of being in the land is not to be chalutzim, farmers. It's not just to build cities, but it's to have a Bet HaMikdash. The request to borrow comes right before the 10th plague and the killing of the firstborn. The killing of the firstborn was not just a killing of the firstborn. It was a killing of the gods of Egypt. This is what we call Mitzrayim. By taking away and even borrowing, even though they're borrowing the vessels, what are they doing? They're in some way preventing the Egyptians from serving their god. And all this terminates with Makat Bechorot, which is in essence a killing of the God. And we really see the killing of the God. We see that Yisrael saw Mitzrayim met. They saw Egypt die, which means the Sar of Mitzrayim, the gods of Mitzrayim dead at the Red Sea, at the, at the, uh, the, at the, the sea next week at, uh, in Vayosha. So fulfilling the promise to Abraham is how the Egyptian slavery ends on this night. Just to end, going back to Rav Yonatan ben Uziel, 
And we mentioned before about the night and the light. And let's see how all of this comes together. The verse, as we mentioned, says, For B'nai Israel there was light. We explained the light was a light from their eye which allowed them to see. The last two paragraphs in this parasha are the paragraphs we mentioned, which we say when we put on our tefillin, and which are two of the four paragraphs, along with the ve'ahavta and ve'ayah, the shema and the ve'ayah, that are in our tefillin. Although we mentioned that these are daylight mitzvot, I saw something even more amazing. These are among the commandments that have to do not simply with dawn or sunrise, but what the rabbis say is the hour when one is able to recognize one's friend. There are three specific mitzvot relating to the recognition. We mentioned tefillin, tzitzit, saying of Shema. Those of us who pray at the 6.30 minyan know that Haron has on the, uh, the, uh, the teva, the time we're allowed to put on our tzitzit, and it's specifically a headache right before we change the clock because it's like 6.28 and right around the middle of winter because then it's like 6.28, so you're supposed to put on your tefillin at 6.28 and be ready to start praying at 6.30? It's almost impossible. Because we don't put on our tzitzit and tefillin at dawn. We have to wait to the time that the rabbis say is the time when one can see his friend. When one could recognize his friend. We mentioned the light was available to B'nai Israel because the light allows them to fulfill the commandments. And these are the mitzvot that we usually refer to. Remember the plague of darkness was divided into two parts. Three days of darkness where it's described as one could not see his friend. And a second part of the plague of darkness where one could not get up or sit down. So what do we say? We say the Shema. We say the Tzitzit. We say the Tefillin. You have to be able to recognize your friend. And in the Shema, what do we say? Uvshochvecha. When you lay down and when you get up. So for the Jewish people, in order to pray, we have to have light because we have to be able to recognize our friend, which the Egyptians couldn't do. And we have to be able to get up and lay down because this is in the Shema, which the Egyptian people couldn't do. So it specifically contrasts to our mitzvot with this plague of darkness. We mentioned the light is, is not there simply for us to see. But the light is there because during the daytime, it's the time to be able to fulfill these commandments. We could even suggest that the reason we were given the light, as we said, was to fulfill these commandments which required light. And as a reward for our desire to fulfill these commandments during the daytime or daylight, when specifically we get up and we recognize each other, we're rewarded with the principle. We refer to Avraham Avinu here as the Sadiq. Why is he the Sadiq? Because it's his desire to serve Hashem, which makes him a Sadiq, which earns him the title. He wants the desire to worship and serve to be passed down to his children. This is in reality what Hashem is fulfilling to Avraham. This contrasts with those who worship and serve idolatry. Our desire. And our purpose in coming out of Egypt is simply to worship Hashem. Rabbeinu Hari explains 
that this will repeat itself at the end of days with the coming of the Mashiach so that we will recognize that our purpose is really to serve Hashem. We'll recognize His majesty in the world through the events which will occur. Avraham is called the righteous one because although he could appreciate the gift of the land, the land is worth nothing if we cannot build a mikdash. And this is what he's telling Hashem and asking so that his children could fulfill the purpose. We could now understand Rashi. He states that the righteous one will complain that I have not fulfilled my vow. I made them slaves, but I did not fulfill the vow to take them out. And this really can only be fulfilled if I give them the ability to build the Mikdash to serve me. And therefore they take dishes. They empty Egypt of its vessels of serving idolatry. And when the Egyptians die at the splitting of the sea, then the ownership of these vessels ends and is transferred to B'nai Israel. Perhaps in justification for the work that was done with no compensation, but more important is that with the transfer of ownership is the ability to nullify the aspect of idolatry associated with these vessels and repurpose these vessels for their eventual task in serving Hashem in the Mikdash. Uh, we say, we say, Amen. So I think I got to answer my tangent question, which brought us to why it was. And with that, we end our class, which I guess is... Uh, to do a double class. Again, tonight is the, the yard site of the rabbi. I see Elliot sitting. I still remember sitting there that night in the, in the funeral home. We were reading Tehillim, and Elliot mentioned to me why the people were Zohar, the other bodies were there. They were Zohar. They had to have done something that they should have been there with the rabbi, sort of him taking them up. We should be Zohar that the rabbi's blessing was a blessing upon us, and it should shine upon us, and and he should beseech Hashem, or his zechut should beseech Hashem on our behalf, and we should bring Mashiach Amen. God willing, next week we're going to include a class on Beshalach, the splitting of the sea, with a Tubishvat Seder based on the Mikubalim. I'm going to send out a list tomorrow of what you can buy to participate in this Tubishvat Seder with us. And God willing, by Sunday, I'll put together a uh, sort of a Tu uh, uh guide or whatever we're going to use that we'll use for the Seder, and I'll send that out. So it should be very interesting. God willing, we'll be in the house, and we'll have uh, some people with us, and we'll celebrate Tu which is a very interesting holiday. It's really a holiday that we don't celebrate, but we're going to really come and try to understand what Tu is all about. Again, thanks everybody for joining us. I want to wish everyone a Shabbat Shalom. I'm going to now try to open, so allow participants. Anyone could unmute and stop the recording at 59.